some sense of closeness and regularity with him. And today we look in our passage, and uh, the main thought we see here in verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, right? This is the title of my message, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so Jude, the brother of our Lord uh, Jesus, says, um, you know, there is a lot of different things going on in the church. There's a lot of false teachers infiltrating the church, and they are leading people astray. And in the midst of it, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so that's going to be our main idea today. And so we might read this and think, well, is this that big of a deal why does Jude write a letter? Why did God insert this short little one-chapter letter to warn us about keeping close to God and fighting off any heresies and wrong teachings that are infiltrating the church? He wrote this because it is so important. It would lead someone to spiritually die. It would lead them to follow a God that is not the God of the Bible. And really, from a biblical perspective, this is the utmost of importance. This is the most important thing of a church. More important than how good is the kids' ministry, how good is the music, or how friendly are the people, really is the purity of the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the church. And so this is really spiritual life or death. I have counseled people throughout the years of uh, people being led astray, being part of groups and churches that did not follow the correct teachings of the Bible and how they were led astray in different ways. Here we see um, that phrase, right? Keep yourselves in the love of God. It is in the imperative. It is an exclamation point. It is something that you might highlight if you were sending a long email to someone. This is the main message. And we see that. And surrounding verse 21 we see three what the, you know, the seminarians would call Greek participles. Or um, participles are words or action words that describe something. It's not so much of a command description. So you'll see it where they end in I-N-G, right? An action word. So the three, it says like, you know, building up your faith, secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit, thirdly, waiting on the mercy of the Lord. So all of these in the ING form are like participles that describe how to keep yourselves in the love of God. And so we're going to try to stay faithful to the text and follow how it is listed there. Just a little background before we jump into those three ways to keep in the love of God. Just a little background here. In this short chapter, it is filled with warnings and negative examples. And so for a Jewish reader that would understand and know all of these stories so well, it was a stark and startling wake-up call to be warned. Don't be led astray. Don't follow someone who teaches something wrong about the Lord. And so the three warnings we saw last week, right, Israel um, falling away, not following uh, God, secondly, the fallen angels, and thirdly, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the next three of uh, sets of uh, negative examples, we see Cain, who killed his brother, Balaam, the sorcerer, who led Israel to idolatry, and Korah, the Levite, who led a rebellion against Moses. And so you see, the first three, maybe they were the ones who fell away. The next three were rebels or rebellions against God. And he uses these very 
powerful, negative uh, illustrations for the reader, for us, for them back then, to say, wake up, this is some serious stuff. I think about this, six examples in a short chapter on how serious these sins could be. And so the uh, wrong teachers were infiltrating the church, and Jude is now standing up against their wrong teaching. And this happens today. Uh, during uh, COVID and the lockdown, one of the cults in Korea had all this media unwanted spotlight, right? Shincheonji, right? There's this cult in Korea. And Shincheonji got into the spotlight because they were gathering and there was the first kind of notable outbreak in South Korea. And they said, they're gathering. Who are they? Is it a regular church? And so they got up. But, you know, they're in Southern California. They have their uh, kind of their headquarters in Buena Park. I've heard stories that members of them go recruiting and they'll join churches and they'll make friends within a church and then they'll invite them to a different study. Come, there's something else and they'll start inviting people out in this way. The founder is someone who proclaims that only he understands uh, the scriptures. Only he can give you the words of life and so now everyone is following uh, the many thousands of people are led astray in following this cult. Now, this happens here and now. It's going to continue to happen. There will be more cults that teach really the same old thing. It's the wheel being reinvented. Someone comes up. They deny the deity of Christ. They elevate themselves. Some charismatic personality who might be able to speak well or move people and say that they themselves are at the level of God and then that they're the way and people gravitate towards that. And many of us might think, oh my gosh, how foolish. Are they uneducated? Are they naive? I would never fall for that. But yet, people that follow are people that are in politics and leadership, educated. And so there is a spiritual aspect where Satan comes and blinds people, closes the heart of the people to hear not the words of God, but something wrong. There is an aspect of not learning the truth. And following any whim and trend of the day. So he starts by saying, right, to keep, in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. This word keep, teros, is the word, it means to guard something carefully, to protect it. To be a warden over some people, to watch and guard and in this short letter, this word is used four times. Verse 1, 6, 13, I believe. All, keep yourselves. Keep the faith. Because it was so important that they were being so open to all of these things. And so we have to now work at this. We have to be very vigilant about this. Or we ourselves could easily fall astray. Um, D.A. Carson has a wonderful quote that I want to share. He says this, and we could shoot that up. It says, apart from grace-driven effort, uh, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. And you might have spoken with someone like this. 
They compromise and call it tolerance. They drift toward disobedience and just simply call it a freedom. They drift toward superstition and call it faith. And we have to guard ourselves in this way. And he says, how do we keep ourselves? What is the description of keeping ourselves right, in the love of God? What does that look like? It starts, number one, and I did this kind of to focus on what happened in the past, present, and future. And that will help us, past, present, and future. And so we start, and we have to pause and look to the past, uh, the word of God. The words of God that were written in the past. It says here in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Uh, to build someone up, this is a, a term of, you know, an architectural term. Your, your foundation is here, and you're going to start putting up the beams and the drywall and the walls. And what's important is the foundation. And the faith that he's talking about is the ancient faith. It is the faith that was introduced by the prophets and the apostles. It's what we see in the Bible. Christians throughout the history, uh, throughout the centuries, have understood and unpacked for us, and we're here today. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse nineteen, it says, "So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets." Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So apostles, we think of the New Testament. Prophets, we think of the Old Testament. It's the idea that all of those teachings and all of what they had said and all the words that were recorded is the foundation. We look to the past. And so anything that's new, anything that sounds a little different, we have to compare it to the ancient scriptures. And we have to say, is it right? Is it biblical? Is this true? When someone says they have a new revelation, when someone proclaims that they have now a new way of doing things, a new truth, uh, truth doesn't change. And so we have to go back to the ancient truths of the Bible. Methods might change, style might change, but the truth is the same. And so we have to be precious about the Word of God. We have to spend time in it. We have to read it. We have to study it. Um, you see at church continuing Bible studies, different gatherings, trying to focus on different aspects of the word. A class on prayer, that it's not something that's just experimental or how I feel about it, but what does the Bible say about it? And so as Gene and John's going to lead us in that, that is a great study. To study the book of Genesis to spend time and take some notes and to do a little studying. Maybe get off the phone, you know, seeing what's next. Um, how precious that is for us. You know, during the uh, third century, there was a great persecution. Um, and it was ordered by uh, Diocletian, uh, the Roman emperor of 303 A.D. And this persecution is well recorded, well known. And as he was trying to get rid of uh, the Christian faith, one of the things that they did was they wanted to get rid of any type of writings, scriptures, and so on. And so if you had it, it was going to be confiscated. And if you did not give it up and you were caught with it, uh, it could mean your life. One of the uh, people that are mentioned in church history is Felix. Um, Felix, the bishop of uh, Tijuca, 
as the pastor, as the leader of his people. He found the word of God precious. He was caught with um, different writings of scripture. And so they said, okay, we're going to give you three days. And if you don't turn it in, uh, it'll be an execution. And he had three days to do this. And he found it to be so precious that the words of God were so precious that he did not compromise. And he says, and some of his words are recorded, he says, uh, I have passed 56 years in this world. I have preserved my chastity. I have observed the Gospels. I have preached the faith and the truth. Lord, God of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, I bend my neck as a sacrifice for you. And he didn't give it up. Something so readily of our phones and tablets and all over maybe our homes. We might have different Bibles laying around. Uh, just going on the internet and you could find any translation you want. Sometimes it's so uh, readily available we forget the value of it. It is in Colossians 3.16 that Paul tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't let it be a visitor. Don't let it just skim by but let it dwell. Let it sit. Let it spend some time in your heart. Let it spend some time and spend your mind just thinking about it richly. Don't be poor when it comes to the scriptures. Don't be cheap when you're taking it in. Let it dwell on you. The second way that we stay connected to the love of God um, is in the present day, right? So we go to the past, the ancient scriptures, and then in the present day, we pray. We pray in the Spirit. Present day because God the Holy Spirit is with us. God the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He guides us. He is with us in this way. So it's kind of the idea of present day, he is here. He teaches us how to pray. In verse 20, the latter part, it says, praying in the Holy Spirit. So building yourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean, praying in the Holy Spirit? Some have misunderstood this to mean, oh, you have to pray in tongues. And maybe some of you have come back, come from a church background, or mom or grandma used to do this. I'm not saying it's tongues is not um, something that is existing. It's something that could be there and people could pray in that way. That's something we have to be cautious of a little bit. It's not something you teach someone at a gathering, at a place. Um, it was something that the Holy Spirit would allow some people to pray in those ways. But here, praying in the Holy Spirit is not telling all of us, oh, learn this technique. Praying in the Holy Spirit is the idea of our location. It's the idea of being in His presence. It's the, where we are, who we are with. And so it is being led by the Spirit. It is praying truths. Not always a perfectly written uh, prayer that we present to God, but it might be you are not dragging yourself along. You are not forcing the situation. You are not trying to make conversation with somebody whom you do not know. No, no, the Spirit of adoption in you brings you right into the presence of God and it is a living act of fellowship and communion vibrant with life. So maybe God 
the Spirit prompts you to pray. In the middle of the night, you wake up and there's a burden on your heart and you want to pray for someone. Let me encourage you to pray. Uh, maybe there is a time of day that, boy, you just really have certain things you need to pray for. Let me encourage you to pray. Maybe there is a prayer request and you want to fast and you want to spend your attention and fast from some of these things and spend time. Let me encourage you to pray and let God lead you in this sweet communion. And then we look to the future. Uh, hope in the eternal life in Christ. Verse 21 says, keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. Again, here is that participle, waiting. How does that happen? Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting. None of us like waiting. You avoid traffic as much as possible. You get on Waze or Google Maps and you take any which way but to wait. You avoid the DMV as much as possible because of the wait. We spend money to now bypass lines at airports because we do not want to wait. And when we see this, we think of it as a negative thing. I don't want to wait. I want it now. I want God to come and answer me now. I want it instantly. The idea of waiting here is more than just the test of my patience. It is earnestly waiting on someone. It's the idea of, I know so-and-so is coming over. And so i got to get my house in order. I gotta, I'm having them over for dinner, so I'm preparing dinner. I know maybe they have an allergy to nuts or something, so I'm going to avoid that. And I know they like this. And you have it all ready, waiting. You're waiting on someone, a hope in someone. We take the idea of hope. And we, the world around us will use the idea of hope um, as a positive trait. And it is. But this isn't just a general call to just be patient and wait. Things will get better. Things will get better. It's not just a, a pop song that kind of appeases and calms you down a little bit. Oh, it'll get better. Tomorrow will be better. It, it's waiting on someone. It's waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It's waiting. In the scriptures, you see many times people talk about uh, the coming of the Lord. And we say, oh, he hasn't come yet. Why would they use that? You know, after the scriptures, after his resurrection, it is the last era. After he was resurrected, everyone's like, oh, we're in the last chapter. He's going to come. That's the next thing. And the VIP, the Messiah, is going to come back. Jesus Christ is going to come back. And now I'm waiting. And I'm waiting with great uh, expectations. I'm waiting on someone who is everything to me. Leads to eternal life. And all that you do, all that you are going through, this summer, even this last week, uh, some of our church family has gone through just going through some very difficult times. Illnesses, diagnosis that they, no one wants to hear, um, loss of loved ones, as uh, many of us know. It's a time to wait. It's time to have hope. And it is not simply the hope of 
I can solve it myself, it'll just go away. It's the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life with him. And so I want to encourage us with that thought. And, uh, you know, we sang this a little bit ago. And the lyrics of it, I thought, just fit it so well. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. We will sing this with him in eternal life. And there will be that day. And so here we are. We keep ourselves in the love of God. We are beloved people. And we are called to keep ourselves in the love of God. We look to the past scriptures. Today we presently are walking with the Spirit. And then future, we have a hope. And we wait earnestly for the coming of our Savior. And we will be with him. And he will wipe away every tear, every pain. And that is the good news of the gospel. If I could ask you, let's pray together. And we're going to sing this uh, with the team as we close. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you would guard us. You would watch over us as the end of this letter tells us that you will keep us. And yet, Lord God, we will strive to grow in faith. We want to strive to know you better. We have so much to learn from the ancient words of the scriptures, the prophets, the apostles. We have so much to pray for as you, Holy Spirit, prompt us to pray for a friend, to pray for different things. And then we have a hope, not a generic hope in something or someone, uh, other than you, we have a hope in you. And so we rest in that today. And we are encouraged by that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.